Jesus. How long is this ride gonna be? Don't worry, Greg. If there's one thing we know, it's riding rides. (laughs) (laughs) Boomerang Bay. Grizzly River. Gilroy Gardens. Raging Waters. Aquatica. Balboa. Adventureland. Disneyland. Goddamn, Knott's Berry Farm. (laughs) Six Flags. California Uh, Adventure. What the hell is happening? Thunderland. I'll leave them be. They'll do this for a while. Alright, we'll stop at the next gas station, okay? We've been driving for 30 minutes straight. The car should be overheated by then. Good. I'll give my mom a call. Without our moms, where the hell would we be today? Nowhere. Wiping other people's asses, digging ditches, still floating timelessly through a sensationless void of oblivion. That's right. Not me. I don't care how many hours I have to podcast. I'm going to give my mom content she deserves. I don't think my mom listens to the podcast. I'm basically an orphan. Ain't nothing case if... (laughs) (laughs) Ain't nothing casey about that. Thanks. It wasn't all bad. She taught me loads, like uh, how to treat people with respect... Gave me a moral compass, showed me how to do what's right. Hey, isn't that the guy we're supposed to kill? What? Where? By the payphone. That's him. Star of Action USA, Gregory Scott Cummins. All right, let's kick some classically trained, blue-eyed, prolific career guest star and character actor ass. No, no. Look, I, 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 I'm not taking it out on you. It's just... You have one plane that leaves for Oklahoma City, and it already left this morning? Christ, when is the next one? Well, yeah, some people do want to go there. Look, you don't understand. I I am being chased by these podcasters. They're, They're freaking crazy. They saw this movie I did in 89 called Action USA, and now they think it's real. I'm in serious danger here. No, I don't know what it's called. They, they watch B-movies and talk about them. Stuff like that. No, no, not, not that one. Uh, no. No, but, but like that one, just less famous. You got nowhere to run, Cummins. Or... Or is it Scott Cummins? How do you threaten someone with three names? Shit, they found me. Here we go again. Shoot out his rubber so he can't get away! I'm shooting the best I can! I'll see you at home! Ah, I think he sings things sliced me! You're not so tasty now, asshole! Well, I'm out. Mm, Me too. Yep. Empty. Yeah, I'm out too. (laughs) So, what do we do now? Well, I guess we should podcast with our special guest, Gregory Scott Cummins. Star of movies like Cliffhanger, Batman Returns, and of course, the good movies like Hack-O-Lantern, Caged Fury, and Action USA. Guest star on 
basically every TV show ever made. <laughs> <laughs> and Amazon Prime's Bosch. Mr. Cummins or Mr. Scott Cummins. Call me Mr. Good Looking. Mr. Good Looking. <laughs> Mr. Good Looking. <laughs> yes. Yes. Or Greg. Yeah. That's no going to be tough. I'm Greg. <laughs> yeah, we got two Gregs in the room. Uh, the, how about Good Looking Greg? And oh. then... <laughs> That one will be easy to remember. <laughs> Other Greg, perfect. Yeah, this is the this is ugly Greg, and then this is good looking Greg. I'm gonna die on this one. <laughs> Every episode we do introduce Greg as ugly Greg, so it, it <laughs> finally <laughs> makes sense. It's perfect. Just know, Mr. Good Looking. Yes, we're here because we absolutely love Action USA. Action well, USA, yeah, kicked our freaking doors in, man. It, it, it's really wild because I did a bunch of low budget movies when I first started in order to get into the business. Um, I had no other way. I had no contacts. So I had done theater for years and years and years and years. And, uh, you know, you don't just jump in and start doing big budget unions. You need to get an agent. You got to do all that. So, you know, they had little uh, auditions set out in the drama log, which was just, you know, a weekly newspaper that said, you know, I'll get casting for this role or that role. And, and I would always get the good guy or bad guy lead in these low-budget films. And the third one, I got connected up with uh, John Stewart for Action USA. I think it was the third or the fourth one that I did. And it was actually the first one that when I actually saw it, I go, you know, I wouldn't mind my family seeing this. You know, because some of the <laughs> other ones were, were pretty horrible. He was a stuntman, and he got injured. And so he put a film together with a lot of stunts. And they said, what kind of script can we put in where we get all these stunts in them? And they created this little this storyline and all that. And they just had stunt after stunt. I kind of equate this as kind of a combination between a low-budget lethal weapon and Smokey and the Bandit, you know, with like Burt Reynolds. Yeah. And, yeah. But for this level of film, for the money we spent, I mean, well, in those days, uh, you know, if it, you shoot a low-budget film, you had to go somewhere else. People, it was uh, expensive to film in L.A., so people are going to Louisiana, they're going to Albuquerque, New Mexico, Amazing. they're going to Florida, they're going to wherever. Waco just gave us the whole town. I mean, they gave us houses, they gave us 100 cars to crash, trailers to drive through. <laughs> they gave us the police for free. We They sectioned off the downtown and... You know, we'd have people jumping off. You know, Bob Brown, especially, became oh. the best highfall guy in the business. Yeah, and uh, we were jumping out of the 15-story buildings downtown. They section off the streets and closed the whole city off for us. They wouldn't even make us pay for the police officers. Uh, they just gave us everything. So you know, we we spent a, a very low amount of money to make what I think came out as you know, it's, uh, you know, it is what it is. You know, and a lot of films were like that in the eighties. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. and you say low budget, but it looks great. I mean, yeah. like all those explosions, like yeah. some of our modern explosions can't hold a candle yeah. to like how legit it looks. Just like playing on the wide shot of things and letting the stuff yeah. play out. It's like a ballet almost. Yeah. yeah, you really can't beat a big orange fireball. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care what your they, metadata does. They had a great <laughs> special effects guy and uh, John brought all these stuntmen that he had been working with and they created all these stunts and basically 
fit a storyline around them all, you know? And he just said, oh, we'll fly the helicopter through downtown. You hang up the helicopter and you fall off into the water, you know, 120 feet, you know, which would kill some people. But, uh, you know, it's... Lesser just, lesser men. <laughs> yeah. Going backwards out the window or, or, you know, full fire burn off a motorcycle off one of their highest bridges that was at least 120, 140 feet. And he had to do it twice. Uh, you know, because oh, no. uh, because they uh, somebody didn't yell action and he started and, and then there was no fire extinguisher where he was supposed to drive off the bridge. And so he had to go off the bridge just to put the fire out and do it twice. And then the next time, you know, we did the next take and it, it was crazy. Oh, it was a fun movie to shoot. We just sat back and we just enjoyed watching them die. It scared the heck every time I watched the stunt because I didn't want to see anybody get hurt of right. the movie. But uh, we uh, fondly called the first unit, which is normally the actors, uh, and second unit is the stunts, you know. But this film, I just started calling the second unit first unit. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then they started shouting, okay, second unit. That means the actors are in the university. <laughs> and then first unit back to the studs. And, okay, second unit, we have a little scene here we have to do. And uh, <laughs> that's the way it was, you know. So uh, I, yeah. I am so curious what the ratio of, like, stunt performers to the actors and, like, what the cross-section was. Like, was everyone kind of, like, split? We all, all, all us actors, we didn't have stunt people do our fights or things like that. We didn't have stunt people to stunt for our action stuff. We would do all our fights and shooting and all the running around and, and all that. But uh, for the big stuff, I don't know. It was probably... It was probably more stunt people than actors. <laughs> I mean, if you think about Ross Hagen and Hulk and then uh, William Albert Knight and Barry Murphy and me. And, you know, there were a group of actors, but I, I think, yeah, I think there were more stunt Even the careers yeah. of like, like yeah. Hoke Howell, Ross Hagen, William oh, Smith, yeah. they were like cowboy guys from the 50s who themselves oh, yeah. did like lots of stunts in like early like studio oh, yeah. cowboy shows oh, and, yeah. and car the stunt oh, yeah. movies well and stuff like that, smith so. was a real tough guy in real life i mean just oh, yeah. he, so he did all his stuff and you know he did that famous thing in every which way but loose with clint eastwood and he did that big fight scene with clint eastwood and you know and, and you know he, he was a big physical guy ross hagan he was on a series years ago called doc tari you know in africa or something like that and then yeah they did all the westerns and all this stuff and uh you know, a lot of guys who play bad guys, uh, you had to do your own stunts. You did your own stuff, you know, and you were hired because you could act and do the stunts. You know, they wanted to see your face get hit. That's the that's yeah, the yeah. like that's the, <laughs> that's the emotional center of, of the movie. They have ways of shooting farther away with a stunt guy and then coming in close for the actor. But you can tell the difference when the actor is doing his own stuff. That is like what I love so much about the movie is there is like such a love of the physical stunt i can't imagine how exciting that was for you but it's like oh. i missed that i i'd rather we've talked about it a million times i'd rather watch a movie where every shot is gregory scott cummins and then someone jumps out of a window in what is clearly a barely fitting gregory scott cummins wig <laughs> and we yeah. see someone like falling 30 stories but i'd rather watch that because i, yeah. I my brain is still going that's a guy falling out a window. That's awesome. <laughs> well, you know, I I, uh, I had a rule. I, I didn't do any because I wasn't a tumbler and a diver. 
I didn't do anything over three stories, uh, any height. Oh, oh, oh that's it. it. Oh, that's it. <laughs> I didn't do full fire burns. I didn't do any of that stuff. So, but I did everything else. You know, car Sounds chase, like a good line. Things <laughs> like that. Yeah. You know, I just said, I'll do anything else. Uh, but they, the, these guys that were, you know, really wanted to advance themselves as only stuntmen, you know, these are the guys that would go backwards out of the window at 120 feet, you know, and, and then tumble down and hit the bag and, and, and it'd be crazy. Wait, you wouldn't jump out of buildings or light yourself on fire? What a diva. What a diva, <laughs> man. Actors. I'm a wuss. I'm a wuss. Oh, the, the fight scene at the car, at the end of the film, I think, fighting on the, the trunk of the car is yeah. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, we did all that. That car seemed to be going pretty fast. Like you're doing. Oh yeah, no, you're no, putting yourself in that. some level of danger. And then we popped out the back window. I mean, they they uh, you know it, it, they they weakened it a little bit so we would shatter it and come through. But uh, yeah, no, and 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 all those films, I I did all kinds of crazy stuff. You know, uh, but yeah, no, that was real. So at the end of the movie, both Hoke Howell gets a dialogue uh, director credit, and yeah. Ross Hagen in the uh, outtakes seems to be directing. Yeah. <laughs> was the vibe that Hoke and Ross were kind of the, the actor's director? No, no. What happened is okay. they were taking care of themselves. And look, John had a lot of, look, John Stewart was a, a great stuntman who got injured doing a motorcycle jump and went way beyond the boxes and really shattered up his lower leg. And he still did stunts in this movie too, uh, more driving stunts and things like that. We, we knew a little more about the acting stuff than John. John would say, I like something or I don't like, it, you know, but he, he, would, he wouldn't necessarily know how we get to it. And the script was just kind of bare. So Ross, you know, he came up, you know, that whole thing where the prison's Joliet, Quentin's naming all the prisons they've been in and they're gonna start <laughs> laughing out. You know, you know, Ross and Hogue, they, they just came up with that together, Yeah. you know, and they just said, this, this would be cool. This would be, you know, William and I came up with a lot of little things that we would do. Uh, so we kind of did uh, kind of direct ourselves a little bit. John oversee things. And Tom Calloway, our DP, was very experienced DP. He works. He does like seven or eight films a year still to this day. He just doesn't wow. stop working. And he has an eye for something that's good or not how to work it where, you know, you don't have to spend all day on one scene. And uh, and he has an eye for acting ability as well. So it was kind of a joint group effort, you know, that we kind of did our stuff and we came up with stuff that we think of that would be cool. And then John would so throw something out and then I'd throw something out or, you know, or Tom would say, why don't you try this? And Ross kind of handled the stuff that he was in, you know, uh, right. We worked our own fight scenes out. We didn't have a coordinator for our own fight stuff. So we just say, oh, you know, I'll swing here, do this thing, do this thing. You fall down here, I'll pick you up, we'll do this. And I was athletic, and Ross uh, knew, knew enough about fighting too. So after years of being a bad guy and playing Westerns and doing that stuff, you just uh, you learn over time, you know. But John, John had the whole, you know, overall thing of everything. I mean, to, to take a right. film and actually direct it and be kind of a producer and director and handle all the things that go on, it, it takes a lot of guts. It's not an easy job. So uh, sometimes we'd have a, a scene shooting with acting, but then we'd have a big stunt being filmed somewhere else. And it's kind of what right. Tom Calloway's funny story is. John wanted to you know, be at the stunt thing to 
oversee the stunt thing. And so he said to Tom, he said, can you handle the, the talking stuff, you know, yourself? Today? <laughs> and, and Tom said, yeah, I, I got it. I got it. I, I can handle the talking stuff to, uh, for the scene. And uh, that, that, that really happened. I'd like the next Academy Awards to like introduce the acting categories as, and now best performer in a talking stuff. The talking stuff. (laughs) Yes. Yes. The, the lead talking stuff and the supporting talking stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to call it acting or anything like that. It's just the talking stuff. I like, I love this coming from someone who studied method. Like yeah. Intensely. yeah, yeah. Well, I did yeah. the method in graduate school. I did a lot of Shakespeare and, and I did Greek and Restoration Theater and Man of Mode and 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 uh, you know uh, Commedia dell'arte and uh, Shakespeare and things like that. Classical theater in the early years, and then then I did go through the method. And, uh, yeah, but so, I mean, it, it was the, how we shot. I don't I think we. I don't. I think we shot it in less than three weeks. I don't know how we did Damn. What? Damn. We had two <laughs> crews running at the same time. We we just had two cameras, and that was when we didn't have digital cameras. You could set things up quick. So you'd have the bigger camera, that old 35-millimeter camera, and you'd have to do the lighting and all that. So they spent an hour just to set up one angle of a shot. And because we were in such a rush, they'd say, okay, we're just going to do one take, and then we got to move on. We don't have time. Classic. And I would do, you know, we do the take. And so then I, I kind of learned a little little trick. If if the take wasn't going the way I wanted it to, or we weren't kind of connecting, we just purposely blow a line. Great. Yeah. Oh. And then it would make them have to reshoot. It was guerrilla filming at its best. And, you a three-week shoot. Less, like... less than three weeks. I think it was less than three weeks. That's incredible. To shoot this movie, you have to have like a pretty high explosion per day ratio. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They did. Yeah, your EPD. Anytime I saw it, you know, I, I'm new to theater. You didn't do this stuff, you know. You And so when I'd see somebody up there where they could actually die, you know, I got to tell you, I was scared to death every time one of those guys did a stunt. It, it, it's no joke. Yeah, Their right. lives were on the line. Flying a car over a trailer, you know, and then landing into other cars, oh, you know, yes. where you're braced in and all that. But anything could happen. That's crazy. You know, yeah. or driving through a trailer and having it explode right into you. Yeah. You got to hold your breath because if you breathe in fire, you're dead. You know, it just burns your lungs, you know? So it's just, this This was serious stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah, but don't sell yourself short. Like, you did some dangerous stuff, too. You had to take a sing-sing slice from Ross Hagen. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a, he learned that in prison. Very few people come back from that. Yeah. <laughs> Ross became my longest best friend because, you know, I knew him so many years. And then he started producing his old films. So I did three or four or five films for him that were also in the low budget range. Oh. He did kind of some horror slasher things uh, for fun and you'd sell them abroad. Uh, but he was just such a character and uh, we just hit it off so much. So he and his wife, we just became very, very close for all these years. And it just, just about eight years ago, maybe give or take, he passed away and, uh, and I just, you know, miss him terribly because uh, he's just, he was so great. Everybody loved 
us. You've gotten to work with some, like, speaking not only of, of like the early part of your career, but even before you entered film, the people you have to list as friends and mentors is pretty impressive. Like, the fact that you trained under Terrence Knapp in Hawaii is amazing like that did you find out about him yeah he is uh, well i mean he's you, he's you do you do have a website you do have a website <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like working with Lawrence olivia he literally was uh, his understudy olivia's understudy for 15 years the royal shakespeare company and when he performed i mean when he did lion in winter he was incredible uh, he, yeah it, it was pretty amazing i was learning from some of the best so these are the guys that was, uh, you know, uh, Lawrence Olivier and and then there was Derek Jacoby and then, then Ian McKellen. And then you, you got the whole group of that were the lead actors in England for years that each one kind of took over and become the next one and the next one. And Terry was right in there. You know, I mean, he was just right in there. I mean, he played a lot of the smaller roles, but he occasionally took over the lead roles. He was the understudy and he learned a lot. I had a lot to, uh, of uh, good training from the, out there in Hawaii uh, where he was teaching. And Cal Berkeley was more into the analyzation of text. It wasn't as performance oriented back then. It was football, right? That brought you to Hawaii. Yeah, I am Cal. And Cal and Hawaii. I, play, I was a punter on the football team. During your time at Cal... Mm -hmm. uh, you ran into a person who I am, I, I will fully admit, I'm a movie nerd. I am not much of a sports guy, but like there are certainly sports figures who I r romanticize. And yeah. one of those figures is Joe Roth, yeah. who you got to play with. And then at least were the owner of like a rare practice jersey. He, he yeah, Joe, like, Joe, like mean Joe Green threw you a, threw you a. Joe was always, you know, because I wasn't a quarterback, he hung around more with the quarterbacks, but uh, we always had a connection. You know, we always got along, talks, and sit and talk sometimes around school. And he, he was just, he was Joe Montana before Joe Montana finished college. He, he, he was going to be the number one draft choice, the most humble guy in the world. Nice to everybody, just everybody just loved the guy. You just couldn't not like the guy. He he was just so humble and he just did his thing. And um, and he, you know, we found out uh, I didn't even know this as the rest of the team didn't know that he was fighting cancer the last season, 75, 76 season. Um, we, we won the Pac-8 championship in 75. And the 76 season, you know, he was fighting cancer, taking chemo during the season, uh, towards the end of the season without anybody knowing. And his game was falling off a little bit, but nobody knew he was still going to be the number one draft choice. And uh, he had to announce to everybody and went to the NFL. He probably wouldn't be able to play. He didn't say he was going to die, but he did. And uh, about two and a half, three weeks after that. But in the last practice, before the end of the season, before the last game, um, he uh, he walked off the field. We always wore a different jersey uh, so people couldn't scout you from other teams. You know, So we always had a different numbered jersey we wore in practice. And his jersey he wore in the games was 12. But when he first came there in the spring of 75, uh, in the spring ball, he was given 14 as his practice jersey. So uh, he kept wearing 14 during practice through all that the seasons, 
both his seasons. And he walked off the last day of our last practice. Uh, and he just said, Greg, uh, you want my jersey? And I said, oh, you know, I was going to maybe steal mine, but I didn't want to get in trouble. And, he said, and I said, uh, yeah, if you don't want it. He said, no. Yeah, I said, here, here, take it. And so I kept it, you know, and, and I didn't realize that he probably knew at that time that he wasn't going to make it long. And, and I, I've always kept that and took care of it for years, uh, and knowing that uh, they named the stadium after him, Joe Roth Memorial Stadium. And, and it was a, a real Brian Piccolo story. The yeah. number one quarterback in the country would have graduated in 1977, uh, uh, would have been drafted in the 77 draft. And uh, I left to Hawaii in 77. He had passed away before I left. And I've kept that jersey ever since. And then, you know, they've done a documentary on him since then. And they, they, they keep memorabilia. And I got in touch with some of the guys at Cal. And uh, and I said, I, you know, I've had this jersey. He gave me his practice jersey for years, the 14 jersey. And the guy goes, you've got the 14 jersey? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I've had it all these years. I keep it in a plastic bag in my drawer. I, I pull it out and just think, you know, look at how lucky I've been. And he passed away so young and with everything in front of him. And, uh, and that's the story on that. I, I gave it to the memorabilia people and they did a little write up on it and they keep it out there um, at the campus or near the campus oh. for, uh, because it was really a, a, a great tragedy, you know, uh, of what happened to him and heroic what yeah. he did. Um, yeah. That is like, he, he's such a tragic yet inspiring figure it, because it, exactly to, to think of anyone at 21 years old to face the end of their life. It helps you when you go, through life and things happen that aren't so good because nobody has a perfect life stuff happens and when things get really tough or bad i just would think of joe and think hey you know whatever's going on right now it's not that bad joe hadn't didn't even have a chance to get past 21 i i think of joe i don't i'm not haunted by the sadness of joe not being around i i just remember the 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 way he was the way he lived and how incredibly heroically he handled his death didn't let it be a shade over his last season. no he well he didn't want to play the hero he just he just did what he did and then all of a sudden at the very end he told a few close friends and uh, his family knew obviously and the head coach knew do you have any sense because it's a real gift not just physical but like that perspective that you've been able to carry through your whole life it's a real gift he gave you do you have any sense of why it would like he chose you to be like hey greg here's a want to keep oh you know that's that's uh, i i've also wondered that i just i i think i there was just something i think like it's like we weren't best buddies we didn't go hang out all the time together after practice or on the weekends and stuff but uh, you know just in the talking that we did occasionally talk uh you know in practice or or we'd see each other around class and then we'd sit down for a while and you know, try to figure out who's from Northern California and who's from LA and bet a buck on it, you know, and, uh, you know, and I'd always win. Uh, That's real. Because you could tell people from LA. Oh, uh, yeah. They've got, a, they've got yeah. a certain shimmer to them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Different clothes. It's the smog. But, you get um, the hair. I don't want to say I was similar to Joe, but I, I think I, I wasn't as vocal and, and extroverted as I am now. Mm-hmm. I, I was a little more quiet take care of business, do my thing, nice to people. 
I've always been a nice guy, I think, to people. And good looking. And, uh, and good looking. But I didn't do that then, you know. I, 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 and I, you know, I, I was a man of few words back then. He was very much the same way, personality-wise. You know, he was just exuded, uh, radiated a, a kindness to everybody. And and I, I, I humbly, I, I think maybe I did too. I don't know, but that's that's the only thing that I can really think of because it's not like we were best buddies. But I think he, he, you know, he had to compete for the job too, and he lost it for one game and he had to win it back. And I was competing for my job, but it was the way we handled it. You know, I mean, we didn't, uh, we just uh, put our head down and did our thing, and and just, uh, just he was just nice to people, and and you know what. I think I was too. I and this ability to be both a jock and a nerd uh, is just, <laughs> like is infuriating. Well, really, I was a really a better baseball player, but but the football. See, the man who got to play professional football says, <laughs> "How dare you!" Just for a while, I got injured and kind of uh, screwed the pooch on my window for pro football. But uh, I. Uh... So then you became a very successful actor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're not feeling bad for you. That was the goal afterward, and I just started earlier than I thought I would. Uh, at 25, I just said, well, I did acting for fun all through college. Uh, now let me treat it a little more seriously and really get into it so I could compete against some of the best people out there. And actually, you know, if you're going to make a living, you don't want to just go in half-ass. Yeah. You know, so you just want to go in making yourself a little better. And uh, and and more competitive. Back then, you know, there were a few people in the old days, like Alex Harris, who who did a little acting, or Jim Brown later did a little acting. You know, oh, yeah. But oh, you yeah. didn't tell. When I talked to Fred Dreyer when he was with the Rams, and I said, "Did you tell anybody in the football team you were taking acting classes?" And he said, "Oh no, oh no, <laughs> said, no, no, no." And I didn't in '74 uh, when I was at Cal. I didn't tell anybody from the sports that I was taking acting. Oh, wow. And then I would have these leads and plays on the main stage and oh, and then in Hawaii too. And I didn't tell anybody in the theater program that I was an athlete. <laughs> you were right. living a double life? There was no Venn diagram? They never, never the twins People had it. preconceptions about what a jock was. And I wanted them to know me as just me. And it didn't come out until I was the lead in the main stage production of As You Like It. I played Orlando. And uh, and then uh, they let me, uh, Coach Tommy in Hawaii, let me skip spring football. And then all of a sudden, the uh, the sports people in the local media realized that, oh, my God, the, the guy who, you know, was, you know, ranked number one in the nation in net punting uh, last year is also an actor. <laughs> Uh, on main stage and so they started doing articles about it he does talking stuff too <laughs> yeah he does talking stuff he's not he's not just incredibly good looking yeah. not <laughs> at, at some point somebody looked at you at, with your glasses on and they were like that's the same guy as when he takes them off <laughs> what? Well, the, so there is a question of like you spend so much time doing shakespeare it's like like what is it like as an actor to go from like Phantom of the Opera to Phantom of the Mall. Like <laughs> oh, I, I I say uh, very seriously to people that, you know, I spent eight years training and a lot of years in theater. Uh, all that training was totally wasted. I, I never, the, the reason I have had a career in acting is because of my incredibly good looks. 
Yes. And, and I'm totally good with that. You know, I'm totally <laughs> good with that because that's the most important thing to be good looking. It has being a, a good, versatile actor really isn't that big a deal, you know. <laughs> so that's that's what I kind of like to say. And, yeah. You know, yeah. It was a lot of taming of the shrew in uh, Caged Fury, I noticed. It felt like those, yeah, yeah. those two were very so, similar. But I got to tell you, on a serious note, uh, yeah, it was kind of kind of demeaning when I first started doing some of the the, the, the really bad films. Th- those are my favorites. <laughs> I'm just saying it. I had to I had to get a demo reel together right. and uh, just yeah. go agents uh, so I could get an agent and then eventually start auditioning for better things, which happened. <laughs> but my goal was just to make a living as an actor and and. Uh, Thirty-six years—that's uh, what I've done. So I, I feel very fortunate. There's a lot of people that don't get to, but, but yeah, no, it was, it was when I did the first movie, Hack a Lantern, and yes. I just, went, oh my god, I didn't. <laughs> I, I understand that that must be tough, like coming from serious right. training with someone from the Royal Shakespeare Company and going into Hack a Lantern. But I will say, watching Hack a Lantern is a more pleasurable experience. Than, <laughs> than maybe anything else in life. There's there are a few things that 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 c- can compare and like I'd watch it. I'd watch it at least twelve nights in a row. <laughs> no, you don't. I, nobody could. It's so bad. I I will say to prepare. I did a I did a Greg Scott Cummins triple feature of uh, Cage Fury, Hack a Lantern, and Dead End City. Oh my god. And they oh are God. all triumphs, sir. And I don't think you should oh look. I think you can. We're not joking. This is like we like we're saying. This is serious. Like like my uh, I am uh, like of the four of us. I am the most like in the thick of it. Like yeah. trash freak. <laughs> Would it surprise you to know that uh, an original tape of Hack a Lantern would run you somewhere in the two hundred dollars range? I've looked it up. I, I <laughs> you, know, you know, my payment for that was two hundred dollars. No, I, I got. I did that for free. I did the movie oh, for free. Oh, wow. First film I ever did. So uh, they, I, I said, I just want to tape. Up. I just need a take so I can maybe take some scenes out and and make uh, start a demo reel. And then I was doing two or three small budget films at the same time, or back to back, or. I was shooting one six days. I was shooting, uh, I think it was Dead End City six days a week. And then I was shooting a thing called Deadly Addiction every Sunday. <laughs> yeah. For like That's five so months. Cool. On De- uh, Deadly Addiction, we just, they all had other jobs too. So we just shot on Sundays. Every Sunday we shoot a little more of it. And then <laughs> wow. we finished the film after about four or five months of just shooting one Sunday a week, you know. Also, copies of Deadly Addiction, a.k.a. Rock House, also tough to find, also go for money. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, and who would think? I mean, I never I never thought anybody would look back at these kind of films uh, from the 80s. And, you know, I mean, I'd understand Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, you know, stuff like that. Stone but, Cold. But, Stone Cold. But, it, well, yeah, with Stone Cold, I knew, though, was more of what I would consider a, a B-plus a minus <laughs> the yeah. amount of movies that you have a hand in that are like actually like 
<laughs> so much fun to, like like i've i've never wanted to watch a lethal weapon i don't care really? about it i want great I love no i mean it's fine back. it's just it's you know it's 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 glossy why watch Riggs and Murta when you have panama and osborne that's what yeah. i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> well you know again like i say action usa was the first one that i thought was you know kind of passable that that i was not uh, but nobody saw it because it didn't come out in theaters. They just sold it abroad, you know. Right. You know, I think they did a screening in Waco. You know, uh, if you had some action, uh, you could sell these movies abroad and make some good money and not spend a lot of money. A country, countries would buy the rights for it. They'd buy it and they'd, they'd show them on their TV shows or in their theaters. I will say, like, I saw a screening maybe two years ago of Stone Cold. And I will tell you, like... Yeah. People were like losing their goddamn minds, <laughs> like myself included. Well, that has become a total biker cult film. It, oh, it, yeah. They use thousands of real bikers in the background. They had a, you know, the biker convention down in Biloxi, Mississippi for the chapter. There, there was a lot of realism to that. I mean, even though the story's kind of wild, but, you know, it. I, it, I mean, it, after January 6th, I don't know. <laughs> like, it it was eerily prophetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you yeah. and Boz do, play pickup games in between? Oh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did you give the Boz any athlete to actor advice? Uh, no, he, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't want any of that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, he was coming out of pro football and... Uh, he he didn't understand you know what stage combat was about you know it's uh -oh. about uh -oh. making it look like you're hurting people and not actually hurting people. Oh no! You know? oh, no. <laughs> I did have my uh, Adam's apple dislocated. Oh my god! <laughs> and uh, that was just during the rehearsal for shooting the scene. <laughs> Oh, you didn't even get it on and, oh, no. and so I I got a little angry with the director there. And yep. Yep, yeah. you know, and did a little yelling and I couldn't talk. And then he did it again. And, <laughs> and we were just rehearsing it. And I kept saying, use the corner <laughs> of your elbow and I will make it seem like you're squeezing the hell out of me and just show some tension. And then, you know, the last time it just popped it out. I had to take the thing and pop it back in and rip uh, all the uh, uh, no, you didn't. No, no. Up. And I could hardly talk. It started swelling up inside my throat, too. And I had a film to go to to start shooting the next day. Oh, it was geez. the last day of the shoot. And, and we were shooting that part on the ground in the helicopter. And I, I was a little angry. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I can understand why. In fact, that's one of the only few experiences. I, I've only had one or two where where somebody was just way out of line yes. uh, and didn't know what they were doing or didn't care. And because uh, mostly everybody understands the concept right. that, you know, you're, you're not supposed to hurt. It's people. not a full contact sport movies. It's two hand touch. No. Hollywood is two hand touch. <laughs> no, I mean, you can do fight scenes where you make contact, but you get permission from the other person yeah. to say, make contact, make contact. I wanted people when they punched me in the chest or the stomach, I say, make contact. I've got to react to that. I've got to know when you're hitting me, you know? So I say, hit me, you know? And, and hit, you know, don't hold back, you know? But, but 
not, not the face. <laughs> not the moneymaker. The moneymaker. <laughs> not, not the crotch area. No, no. Also know? the moneymaker. <laughs> yeah, that's the money spender. Yeah. yeah. Or the baby yeah. maker. Yeah, right. yeah. That, was the, that was the better one. So you're telling me that Brian Bosworth, the man who wrote the autobiography, The Boz, Confessions of a Modern Anti-Hero, would be mm. a dick. <laughs> Color me surprised. Well, no, I, I did not say he didn't that. Say yeah. that. <laughs> no, 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 no. On record, Objection, he did not Your say Honor. that. You're not going to get my client, Mr. Scott Cummins, in on one of those classic Hollywood gotchas. He did not say dick. <laughs> I did not say that. I just gave an example of something that happened on a set. <laughs> the last thing we'd want to do is start a feud between you and the boss. That is no. not what this no. podcast is about. No. No, no, and I, I don't, I don't want to. He still looks pretty strong. Too. <laughs> but we are going to start a reality show where you and him live in a house called Who's the Boss? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Alternate title, guess who's Cummins to dinner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if we want to get like you that. the top billing. Oh. <laughs> guess who's Cummins to dinner. <laughs> I suppose that as much weight as I've gained lately, I, I might look like he did in college uh, nope. in my upper yeah. body. Uh, but he, he did the, drop the weight when he... Uh, stopped the NFL. Um, there was a reason for that, I think. But uh. <laughs> Also, sir, you look great. To quote your TV yeah. son from It's Always Sunny, you're, you're cultivating mass. That's what you're doing. You're cultivating mass. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I started working the, the better, you know, the, moving my way up on the union jobs. You know, you know. let's see, what did After Stone Cold, there was, uh, then I think there was Batman Returns in, in 91, and then after, and, and while I was working on Batman Returns, or right after I finished, I got hired for Cliffhanger. Can I, oh, can I tell, can I tell you, I, I don't have, uh, Cliffhanger is one of my favorite movies ever, and you yeah. are, you, your role, it is like the, 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 all of the henchmen to John Lithgow yeah. in that movie is uh, Rex Lynn, Leon, like, Rex Hairbrass. Yeah, uh, people who are, like, yeah. memorable in yeah. like it's like the casting director was like i want all the people who are just great character actors of the moment to just be together I, we had a great time they cut like two or three pages of dialogue out because my of my stuff when i was fighting with them everybody had about two pages of dialogue before they had a fight with either michael <laughs> oh, no. or stallone yeah yeah and my fight with stallone um we we shot sliding down the hill in the mountains, but we had it set up on the stage to slide along with the car, and we had a whole hundred yards of salt, and then we angled the camera and we just did it. So um, that was it. But before that, the the fight part of it, um, there was all this dialogue. They were running three months behind. So what they started to do was they were running. The wait, they were running six Action USA production schedules. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, were, they, they had scheduled the plan, uh, the thing for three and a half months, and we were going on to our fifth month. We had moved from the mountains to the studio in Rome, and uh, they had five huge sets of for all these different things. But right when we got to Rome, Leon got to shoot his scene because we weren't that far behind then. And he got to shoot his dialogue with him while he did the knife fight. And it, so it made his role appear a little bigger because all of us had an equal size role. We just died at different times. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but they cut my part out 
Because um, I died about thirds of the way through. I'll tell you, it's still memorable as hell. Like you're like yeah. the flare in the eyes, and yeah. uh, the the your face getting peeled off as you're sliding down the mountain. Is <laughs> some of my favorite movie moments. Well, we shot that sliding part, and uh, you know I was going to die, and then you fall off the cliff, and the whole thing. I kept saying to him for two days, we shot that. Me on top, him on top, me on top, him on top. Ooh. It was very intimate, actually. <laughs> <laughs> a man. And we joked around a lot with that. Uh, but uh, I kept saying, you know, I, you, you're just making a mistake killing me off uh, in the movie so early. I said, do you think all the women are going to stay in the theater for you? And I said, you are just going to lose your female demographic. You're just going to the theater yeah. and you were right you were right yeah. hey you you just yeah uh you know ryan just falls into the black sort of abyss we that's an off-screen yeah. death you could uh, still yeah. come back for cliffhanger yeah. too i could have lived yeah <laughs> there's a lot of hangerer yeah. <laughs> the return of ryan yeah. yes but that was just you know what a what an adventure shooting that film oh my god you were up in like the italian Alps. Oh. Every day, top ring or driving up to a different mountaintop and either climbing, you know, to the top of the ski resort and going up, or or choppering to a, a peak, you know, five thousand feet of granite above the tree lines, you know, at twelve, thirteen thousand feet, and then we had a mountain climber assigned to each of us, cool. uh, a professional one uh, who who all all of them had climbed Everest, and uh, and they assigned each of us to keep us safe through the whole movie. So they would go out of frame when we start shooting, but they made sure that all, all the, the the spikes were into the uh, into the rock securely. Our ropes were fastened correctly, wow. and then you know I was always farthest away from camera. So whenever they were shooting us climbing up, I had to go further down, and then we you know so I had farther to climb to get back <laughs> up. You know? So, uh, but it was a great experience. They trained us for a week in mountain climbing and safety. And uh, and then they kept an eye on us as we shot. And and where do you get that experience? Where, where do you go to do that on your own? I mean, Olive was, Garden, I think, has started. Yeah, Olive Garden. <laughs> Olive Garden. yeah, that and Olive Garden are the two greatest experiences of my life. <laughs> yeah, the the never ending soup salad breadstick is my Everest. That's yeah, I, that's that's that that and and and, and uh, every time you go and now you're assigned a, a Giuseppe or a Giovanni and they and they've yeah. all done it and they can coach yeah. you through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then everything just started moving out. And then all the TV stuff when you're doing films that are kind of considered A A grade or A minus films or whatever, um, then all of a sudden they want to hire you. You know, and I play bad guys a lot because of my size, my height. You know, not a lot of people want to stand next to somebody who's six four. You know, as a sidekick. You know, <laughs> so I I had to scum myself out and and just play my psycho bad guys for years. Uh, I just know for years, my mom, when she retired and, and then she'd work at giving out packs at the bingo and all the people, would, <laughs> uh, she, all the people would see all the stuff on TV and films as bad guys. And she, I don't know, she must have said 20,000 times, he's really not like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, that would be even better, though, if she was just like, yeah, get me away from him. <laughs> No joke, it's happened. When I look like that in real life, it, it was not great for my personal life. <laughs> I look pretty mean and scary. Uh, you know, nobody messed with me. I'll tell you that. 
I played the white trash redneck Nazi type of characters, you know, the, the, the real and, and guys that were on the edge or, you know, whatever, you know, little psycho. And you do it so well, sir. You do it so well. Thank you. That's the thing is you've had such a crazy career. Like at at a certain point, it seemed like in the mid nineties, you guest starred in every television show there was <laughs> like you there, there, there was a lot of work then i would assume that there might might have been some frustration and maybe not getting the like getting no. put into this sort of like no, villain I, I, character I put myself role. into that category on purpose because i was playing all kinds of different roles and casting directors were getting confused all the time so uh, <laughs> one, one casting director say oh he can't play a bad guy he's the leading man and another person they get an audition and say, oh, he can't play a leading man. He's a bad guy. They lock their brains in that that's all you can do. I, I always wonder because, and I, I say this uh, in, in full honesty, sir, and only to kiss your ass the appropriate amount. Like Good. There, are, there are so many films where you, and, and TV shows where you are like the memorable bit. Like you are like you are the you are the perfect that guy in so many things. It's like, oh, that guy, I love him in that. Like the, I had cre- I'd created this mythology in my head where you got cast in It's Always Sunny because of some like the the like creators saw you in some crazy movie they love in the 90s. And were just like, oh, we need him. To play they actually didn't see me. I just went in an audition. They, a lot of people, because it was a comedy, were going in trying to play funny bad guys. And what I did is I went in and I just played my most serious, psycho, crazy, low-key mother... Can I say yeah, it? Yeah, no, you can yeah, say yeah. it. Low-key motherfucker. Whoa, whoa, and, whoa. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and and I, I let the comedy, uh, let them do the comedy and the humor come off me. So I just read it, slicked back the hair, did the, you know, pop the eyes out. <laughs> You know, and well, you know, I'll tell you what, you know, you can do something for me. Uh, we, we, what, what, what do you know about smuggling heroin through your hands? You know, hmm? you know, and stuff like that. This is surreal. Do not come back here without anything up those asses. <laughs> okay. Glenn Howerton, uh, he, he caught that really quick. He said, a couple of guys said, well, he's not like, that funny and he said but he's not trying to be funny he's playing it straight serious badass so we can be funny off of him the situation is funny i am struck and again i i'm not i'm not trying to do too much pole polishing but it's like i'm struck by like in those in those early films like no i just wanted you to know i wanted you to know seriously if i were gay you'd be the first i just want to let you know so uh, i mean to be fair, I I'm not gay, but Casey was my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm still a virgin, so I, I don't know what's going yeah, on. It's, it's a really confusing, confusing situation. I yeah. cannot wait until I have sex someday. Yeah. <laughs> It'll I've happen. Heard, I've heard so much about it. Uh, love in the time of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're such a physical performer again i just watched cage fury like spider is, yeah. spider is terrifying but like yeah. r- very grounded at the same time 
yeah, in yeah. this movie yeah. that is absolutely bananas. Uh, but yeah. I think it had a level of irony that just the world wasn't ready for in 1990. No, oh, no, no. They sold that abroad. That was an Israeli guy that made that. I'm still in touch with Roxanne. She played the female lead in that. Oh, yeah. She kills it. She's great. She's so Yeah, she was well, very... she kills a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Yes. A, 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 an amazing scene partner to get stabbed in the eye with a fork. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, you take you take a fork in the eye for someone like her. Anyway. You know, and I, I that was fandom of them all though. Or what, did I get one in the Cage Fury too? Did I get you, stabbed? You got it. You got stabbed in the eye in Cage Fury as well. <laughs> oh Jesus! Oh no, 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 you're right. Fandom of them all. I got my head cut off. That's right. Uh, <laughs> when I when I got the fork in the eye, I was living with a girl. And I decided they were going to take it off on set. And I said, no, no, no. Yes. I said, leave it on, leave it on, leave the thing. <laughs> out. Yes. And I drove home. I went to 7-Eleven. I remember a cop pulling up next to me. And he kind of looked at me and I went, I'm an actor. I went, I'm going home to scare my girlfriend. And uh, so I, I got into bed quietly. And all that. Oh, wow. Slowly, uh, you know, woke her up. Like, you know, maybe we might get amorous or something. And then, yeah. and then she started screaming. And she started- <laughs> I like, I like you telling the cop. You're like, I'm about to go scare the shit out of my girlfriend. And he's like, Cool, I'll expect a call later. He might write you up for a du one eye. Jokes, Casey with the jokes. That is hilarious. (laughs) That's good. Yeah, well, yeah, I kind of learned years ago that sometimes when you want to be, you know, a character to be intimidating, it's not always to get in your face, being real tough, yelling, you know, and all that. Sometimes it's more intimidating just being low key. And, you know, if if something, you know, you want to, you know, something's really dangerous. You might say something with a little smile, you know. And the thing for theater is to, you know, don't bump into the furniture and 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 make sure the audience can hear you. <laughs> in film, even just a thought mm-hmm. can catch a facial expression change that you don't even know you're doing with your face. You're just thinking something different and it can pick up. And And that's when it really hit me like a lightning bolt. And then from then on, I had a completely different understanding of acting. It wasn't as much performing as just being and being honest and being real and making interesting choices. And you do, you do like, and it's, it's, I mean, that's wild coming from like traditionally stage actors have a really hard time with that. And also traditionally uh, people who come from like sports tend to go too big. And I think you have an interesting story in that you became someone who does actually you make big choices but you play them really subtly well i think that that's why action usa yeah really works so well yeah yeah i appreciate that i mean that's the the honesty ross did a good job of finding a level of reality but still finding humor within the characters yes. too. Yeah. he did so. Great, but he came out with some very funny stuff to do. Okay, okay. I I don't even know if I want an answer to this, but we <laughs> had a lot of thoughts on what Ho Cowell and Ross Hagen were doing in this movie. Yeah. Did they intend it that those two characters were falling in love? Uh, I, oh, I, 
it I, reads. It, it really reads. reads on the screen. <laughs> they they had been friends for years, and and so when they worked in the job, That's they knew each other so well. It was just like they they just had this rapport, you know, and yeah. they brought brought it into the film. You know? Well, it's it's great because it does it. Even they who are the you know they're the threats, they're the imposing danger for yeah. our protagonists. They are like their motivations are so also honest and like laid bare <laughs> more than most movies give us like villain the fact that the scene when they're like yeah well you know we got to do this to keep our moms in nice nursing homes <laughs> like, what? <laughs> where would we be if not our mothers and that's 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 stuff he came up with he just he, he threw it in there he's uh, that little that little campy but it still came from a, a real place you know it was just and and the film needed it you know yeah. i think it made the film better yeah. to have oh, that yeah. stuff i had to be pretty straight because if i wasn't straight with and william of panama if we didn't play it pretty straight then 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 it wouldn't have all worked i don't think speaking of your co-star your scene partner you two are playing it straight in this wackadoo world yeah uh just you know two <laughs> fbi agents being pushed to their limit <laughs> without without a real without good a pension, pension without, at the end. A yeah, without a real good pension at the end. <laughs> but william hubbard knight in real life i do want this story from you mm. at least the rumor was he had a very action usa end <laughs> To him. Uh, yeah, no, the rumor <laughs> was. Can you explain you know, this to us? In the late 90s, I don't know where uh, Tom Calloway, the DP, director of photography, had Google trying to find William back somewhere back in the 90s. And, and there was a William H. Knight that had died in a plane crash. Oh. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> on IMDb, <laughs> there was nothing. He stopped working. It was just done. He, there was no work on IMDb after like 1998. And so the rumor, <laughs> I've been thinking for 20 years that William died in a plane crash. Oh, my God. I was, de I was devastated. I was devastated by it. When I heard this, the rumor went around. Everybody thought he had died. And I, I was utterly devastated, you know, because yeah. I really, William and I, we really got along. And then all of a sudden, I get this call from Tom. It says, I think I may have found him in San Antonio. <laughs> After 21 years, we all thought he was dead. And that was this year? This oh year. <laughs> and what happened was, he thought, Della Reese was in, you know, the last thing she did was touched by an angel, and she was very spiritual, and she was, I think, a minister or something. I'm not sure, but he was a disciple of hers. He became a minister, a pastor. Oh he went to Hawaii for five years, stopped acting completely, lost contact with everybody, except my agent, who I've spoken to since, and I, he knew this all the time. didn't tell me. <laughs> And wow. I know because wow. I never wow. talked to him about wow. it. And then, and then he said San Antonio. So I sent some messages and texts, and William and I, we've been communicating. And I just the first thing I did was just start screaming. <laughs> oh my! You know, I mean, I was so. I mean, I thought he'd been dead for 21 years, and I find out he's alive. Can you imagine? No, he's so, I, I can't. I we got along so great. Can you? Can you imagine what that feels like to find out somebody's alive after you thought they were dead for 21 right. years? And also that it was a plank. Like, did he pull like a DB Cooper? Did he fake <laughs> a plane crash so he could get no, out of the no, business? No, no. It, it was a, it was another name? William Knight that got killed in a plane crash. And so 
we all just assumed because he just stopped working. He wasn't with my agent anymore. He was just gone that he was the one who died. And and then we then we find out he's a pastor for the last 20 years. But, you know, just connecting up with him and and, and just it was just unbelievable. And wow. uh, you have been able to reconnect. You've been able to we have been, yeah. we haven't oh, been able great. to do a, a phone con conversation yet. But we've been connecting, uh, you know, uh, by email and text. That's great well, to hear. I'm sorry for your loss and happy for your uh, rebirth. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I'm, just, I'm so excited. Yeah. Well, it's such. It, I'm so glad he is still kicking. Yeah. And it's yeah. such a great so story. Much. It's such a great story. It reads like the first act of Action USA Two. <laughs> yeah. Like sounds like <laughs> amazing. But we gotta we gotta talk a little about uh, Bosch because that's uh, that's sure. been a great. Speaking of, thing. yeah, but this is, re I mean, really, you are now, uh, the, the seventh and final season of Bosch is about, is going to premiere in March, correct? Is that the plan? Yeah. Uh, well, it's going to be later, later. It'll probably be early June early uh, because June. We, we started shooting a couple weeks, uh, a couple months late because of the coronavirus and uh, usually comes out April of every year. Uh, they probably won't make it out until maybe May, June, early summer, right. June-ish. Yeah. But this is sort of your longest running role this is a this is like a regular I, other this than is, you, you. occasional recurring and it's always sunny in philadelphia right. for years in the 80s and 90s uh, bad guys just did one or two part episodes and then got killed off or you know or put in jail or whatever but it, it really didn't start happening uh until i got older and and uh, and i wasn't playing a lot of those characters anymore because i was you know, just older. And uh, now I, this with Bosch, I was lucky enough to be for a role where it was, you know, playing crate and barrel. And uh, so crate, what is a crate is just a big guy. You know? <laughs> so, and uh, I just kind of lucked out to have a decent audition, I guess. And, uh, and they obviously saw how good looking I was. Sure. And they, uh, <laughs> Of course, can't miss it. You, you can't miss it. That's everything. No, but yeah. what? Uh, what? I guess maybe because you come from stage, this wasn't such a change for you. But where after a lifetime of, or not a lifetime, but a career of these, like that started with these non-union grindhouse mm -hmm. to some point, like uh, direct-to-market horror and action movies, and then you started yeah, doing yeah. guest roles. Yeah. But at this point, you've been detective more. You've been crate for when did you start filming that? Twenty third, like seven, seven years. years? Yeah. 14 it started the pilot and then you know so uh, yeah has there been new challenges or new discoveries for yourself as a as an artist as an actor to like live in one character for this long this is the first job i've had in tv and film where they had written a role and i don't know maybe maybe, maybe i fit into it right and then they kept writing and they saw the way i was so they they would kind of maybe adapt the writing because Crate and Bear were only in one of Michael Connelly's books. Oh, so we were in the first season, but they kept us on the show. That's so they I love when that happens. Yeah. Wrote stuff that would fit in, but they also uh, accommodated to the way we are in life. Honestly, I've said for years, this is the first role where I don't even feel like I'm acting. I, this role, I'm more like myself mm -hmm. in real life than any role that I've ever played. Uh, I, they have to tone me down from being too goofy sometimes <laughs> because I am goofy in real life. But when I'm serious, I can get really freaking serious. They 
have their lives on the line. They'll be in a shootout. They'll come with a lot of tension, a lot of pressure. And, you know, it's like uh, people in wartime or football programs or whatever, you know, you, you, you go in, you, you get a lot of practical jokes and you get a lot of guys goofing around and playing jokes at each other and doing stuff and teasing each other. Uh, I've had police from all over the country saying, we've got a crate and barrel in our department. <laughs> you know, they, they're tough. They can be really tough if they want to be, but they goof around a lot too and, and have this kind of marriage-like relationship, partnership, where you get to know someone so well. It's almost like a married couple. Yeah, I was going to say that the, the, the cast for Bosch is... Unbelievable. unbelievable like like you work with titus welver jamie hector uh, lance reddick some like tv le sarah clark mimi rogers just like yeah. a cast that's insane but much like clay and panama <laughs> you are back to the relationship between partner cops with you and troy evans as creighton barrel to work with troy evans uh, has been just a great blessing as well i troy is uh, He's a sweet, wonderful guy, and he's really a funny guy. He's he has so many jokes. He, I, I would go to work every day, and I, I, I never. I mean, I had other projects where I'd be happy to go to work because I'm going to work, I'm going to make some money, and I'm going to work. But I actually miss everybody there. Yeah. So when I would go there, I would just be just so happy to be back on set. Really, I mean, it, it's got writers that are through the roof. The, the whole basic thing, Michael Conley, but Eric Obermeyer produced The Wire, and he was the creative director for The Wire as well, and, and he's done this. And to adapt Michael Don Conley's novels, two, two books into each season and then put it together, is unbelievable what he's done. And he, he's a genius. He's incredible. And then to hire someone like Titus Welliver, who uh, has been, you know, I don't want to say we've had the same kind of career, but He's been a character actor for a lot of years, playing a lot of versatile roles right. and um, bad guys, too, and cops because he has that look because he's not like Bosch in real life. He's really funny, really goofy, does impressions. He's a great guy. But it's also the way he is on set, how friendly and nice he is to the people. He really sets the tone because he's there every day almost. And and and, you know, if he were in a bad mood or angry or yelling at people or this or that and i've seen that you know with other shows with other actors and there's just he's exactly the opposite of that he he's just friendly and nice to everybody there's a time to work and get serious and then the minute you're done you're you're off goofing around and joking because you know what's the point if you're not having fun yeah there are there are some other regular characters that are series regulars uh lance reddick and uh uh, Amy Aquino and um, and uh, of course Jamie Hector playing uh, Jay Edgar is just unbelievably one of the most honest actors I've ever ever worked with and um, I used to say Cliffhanger was the best job of my life because it was <laughs> such an adventure mm. yeah. and it was an amazing adventure for a six month period but this has been you know four months a year seven years um, this has been a family yeah. it's it's really just a bond that I haven't had. Since I would do a you know a summer repertory program you know uh, in theater or or a two year graduate program with my fellow masters uh, MFA actors and all that and then you know you have this two year relationship where you're just really close and uh, that's what this is like um, uh, more so for me because I'm actually getting paid doing. It. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,
able to get out there and watch it when it shows up we'll this get year. Get in there and watch it. Get in there and watch it. Yeah, don't yeah. go yeah, out stay. there. <laughs> watch it at home. Watch it at home. Stay in. <laughs> watch it on Amazon Prime at home. CDC recommends that everyone stays in and watches Mosh. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this, man. Like, of I'm course. so course. stoked to meet you, but yeah. also to see that Action USA is getting this sort of like late love. The Vinegar Syndrome yes. and the Alamo Draft yeah. House re-release has like... And Tom Calloway, the DP, has done a lot of the upgrade work on that. I can't believe it. I, I'm just like going, wow, this is pretty pretty cool. You, know, <laughs> you made some cool fucking movies. Yeah. Really? You've yeah. been in some really uh, cool fucking movies. And the ghouls, the VHS collecting <laughs> ghouls, like, yeah. like we love it, man. Like yeah. everyone who'd, who'd grab a copy, you know, if it were just like, this movie is insane. Like, you know, you have, if you find it, get it, buy it. Like, it's impossible to find. Like, you gotta, you gotta watch it. You mean and, I could have uh, made copies of my VHS and see what you sold on our market and made a whole bunch of money? Oh, man. <laughs> opportunity. Let it be known that for these four podcast hosts, you have cut an indelible and impressive career through cinema. And some of your performances in your early movies and your later works, they're going to be ones that I think of for the rest of my life. Amen. I, I imagine for you, it's got to be crazy to think back to that kid who was in Hack-A-Lantern. <laughs> I always figured if I put my mind to something and I worked really hard, as I did in sports, uh, whatever I did, I, I achieved some level of success, more so than failure. And it was all about hard work and training and practice and mental fortitude and, and just uh, just working hard. But yeah, uh, Hack Lantern, that, that would have that would have been, if it stopped there, I, I would have been very, very sad and very <laughs> Gregory Scott Cummins, thank you so much for talking with us. And you know what? I found some extra ammo in the back of the car. So if you guys want to, I don't know, get in, you guys want to get in a shootout again? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Reload. Absolutely. But seriously, this has been a lot of fun. Now let's go shoot each other. Oh. Hey, aim for the cars. Maybe they'll explode. Car ah. <laughs> not your house. You're they just don't stop coming. <laughs> Boo. Boo that man. Boo. Shoot Greg now. No, the other Greg. Ugly Greg. Ugly Greg. In your ear. Podcast Network.